Hello, and welcome to the DC Fempreneur Podcast, a community for local DC area female entrepreneurs that collectively seek to combine and share skills, knowledge, and expertise to help impact and grow their businesses to make them more purposeful, profitable, and sustainable. Hi there. Welcome to the DC Fempreneur podcast. Lisa Shapiro here, your host, and today we have a very special guest. She is absolutely no stranger to the podcast world, and I'm sure it's a little bit strange being on this side of the microphone, but uh, Jen Crawford is here with me today, and she is very well known as the founder of DC PodFest. She also is a media maven with her company, Media Rescue, and a brand new project. I'm not even going to give it away. We'll talk about it when we get there. But uh, Jen, so thank you for being here today. Thanks, Lisa. I am so happy to be on the DC Fempreneur podcast because I love your podcast and I love all that you have going on in the Fempreneur community. (laughs) So uh, it's a thrill for me to talk to another business person. So um, yeah. Somebody who gets it, right? Yeah. There's a lot to get and it's a unique experience being an entrepreneur. So It totally is. Yeah. So it's great to talk to other entrepreneurs and also know that the people listening are entrepreneurs and are going to understand the roller coaster of this journey. Yes. So I will just admit, like, I am super nervous um, interviewing somebody so incredibly seasoned as you. I mean, you've had at least one podcast, like, that you you had, you built, and then you retired, right? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, DC Fempreneur Podcast, I think, is in its early infancy phases. You know, I've only had two seasons. And most of the episodes are either me rambling (laughs) or um, the ones that where I have a guest on, I enjoy the most. But I feel like I'm still learning a lot about the the podcast world. So um, I'm really excited that you're on because I know that the people who are going to listen in are expecting like really gold nuggets about, um, about podcasting or maybe about just your being an entrepreneur in general. Um, And it's one of my questions actually is, um, you know, as an entrepreneur or a multi-passionpreneur, right? So you have, you're like me, we don't really like to do just one thing. Tell me about how you're running all of these projects simultaneously. You have multiple things that you're doing at the same exact time. And, you know, what is your process for deciding that when you come up with a great idea, how you're going to move forward with that? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a good question. I think sometimes people think, oh, you're you know you've got multiple businesses and projects, you know how do you do it? And you know the time is there. I mean if if you manage your time, I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, maybe there are other people who have better social lives than I do. I mean I just <laughs> I just for me, uh, growing business is like it feels like a hobby in in the sense that I have so much fun doing it that it it doesn't always feel like work. Like working in my business is just something that I enjoy so much. And in terms of, you know, cre- uh, choosing between projects, it tends to be the things I move forward on are the things that I just can't shake, like the ideas that just won't go away, that I, that I keep coming back to, that I keep thinking about, that if I, if I'm, my mind is drifting, I'm 
thinking of how to implement those things, then that typically will tell me, well, this might be something you want to do. I just hate like having regrets, right? And so it's just, I would rather do something and fail than not do it and always wonder, well, I wonder what would have happened if I had done that. Yes. That is an incredibly... Something that we would all say about our lives, right? Right, yeah. Like we'd rather do something and put ourselves out there than to regret not doing it and then wondering what would be. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And sometimes I do wonder how I'm, how I'm going to do it. I have a couple of upcoming projects that are, are going to be time-consuming and out of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. uh, which really you, you shouldn't spend a lot of time in your comfort zone. Us entrepreneurs know that. Um, and But it's also exciting because it's a little scary. So it's got that bit of excitement to it. And, you know, who knows? I don't know if it's going to be successful. But I failed before. I I, I spent a lot of time, many years, being very afraid of failure and doing a lot to avoid failing or even appear like I was failing. And then I had a big failure. And I didn't die. And no, I, of course you didn't. No, die. I mean, nobody ate me. I like, you know, <laughs> it, I survived it. And then I was like, okay. And I realized how much I'd learned from it. And now I try to put myself in more positions where I have an opportunity to fail. Um, because if you're not failing, then, or if you are failing, you're also learning. So now it, it's that big failure made me sort of a little bit fearless in that sense, which I, I'm glad. I mean, when it was happening, it was horrible and I had no perspective. Um, I, I just wanted to, you know, hide in, in my basement and never come out and see anybody ever again. But um, after well, what I, was it that was this big failure? Yeah, it was just a business failure. I had, um, I had opened a, an early co-working space and I had, uh, leased an old, it was a 1970s auto body shop. Okay. And we built it out. It had a, it had a coffee shop. It had a co-working space for uh, visual artists, mm-hmm. had a stage for performance artists, rehearsal space for musicians. It was, it was in retrospect, a very ambitious undertaking, but I'd had success in business in a totally different type of business. But I was a little, um, you know what, I think I may have been a little cocky because I was like, hey, nobody can outwork me. I've been a successful entrepreneur. That's why I have the money to invest in this business. Well, it was a beautiful idea. It was a beautiful experiment. I call it a beautiful experiment because, uh, you know, it didn't work out. And I ended up losing a lot of money on that. And it ended up having to close. And I didn't have a lot. I didn't have anything to show for that business financially Mm -hmm. because I just wiped my, you know, financial riches just went away. Uh, So all of my success in previous business was wiped out with that business. Um, What year was this? This was, um, I opened that, it was called The Soundry, and I opened it in 2008. Okay. So you were opening co-working spaces before... Anybody knew what co-working spaces were? Yeah. I mean, I barely knew, but it was membership-based. And it was the idea was I was living in suburbia. I found it rather bland. And I thought, you know, I know a lot of people doing incredibly creative things. And they're so tremendously talented. And also, I also and, and in co- you know, uh, Congress with that was I felt like the arts were being su- – extremely undervalued and mm-hmm. in, in terms of like being looked at as like a charity. And I thought, oh, these creatives, um, if they had some exposure to the public, if the public could see the amazing things that they're creating and the value that they're bringing to their community, that they would 
um, also support them financially by buying their buying their art, coming to their shows, following them, and and um, participating in in them long, in their creations long term. And so I thought I can I can make a space where we can bring all of these people together, the public, to see all these creative people, and then give a space for these creative people to create and collaborate, form a community, and therefore those those bonds where you can build confidence in what you're doing, work on your skills, sell your sell your art, um, learn new skills. Like that's sort of the ecosystem that I wanted to create, and I think I did definitely create that. There was a beautiful community that blossomed there that still exists today. But um, financially, a brick and mortar is a beast. I, I, I mean, just and nobody tells you this, right? There's no manual saying, "Hey." Um, in fact, even the build out when we met with the architect and the people that were doing the build out, um, they gave us like this ridiculous estimate of like it's going to cost anywhere from uh, fifty thousand to a hundred and fifty thousand. Wow! And we're like, can you narrow that down? Like, there's a big difference, right? Sure. So there's just I didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't know a lot. Uh, so every mistake I made was very expensive. So that, you know, I, I thought I had enough money going in, but it went so fast. I mean, our monthly overhead was about $16,000. Oh, my heavens. So if you can imagine coming up with $16,000 every four weeks, um, you know, it's... In the arts. In the arts. Yeah. yeah. And there's in a the reason arts. why they say like a starving artist, right? Because Yeah. I mean, I hate that term because I don't think they should be starving. I, I, I don't think know. they should either. Um, and most of them aren't, <laughs> obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, we tried to build in multiple revenue streams. We had the membership, which we kept reasonable because they were artists and uh, we wanted, we didn't want to um, to make it a place where they, they couldn't afford to be part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had the coffee shop and we rented rehearsal space and we had shows that were ticketed. So we tried to have multiple revenue streams. But in the end, although the revenue was increasing and going in the right trajectory, um, I ran out of money to to keep floating the business. Yeah. And so that's, and so it was very, you know, it was public and it was humiliating and it, I'd worked, I'd never worked harder. And I just, you think you were the only person to ever have a business fail? No, no, I absolutely didn't. No, yeah. I absolutely didn't. But, but it, it, it always feels very personal when it's your, yeah, your when it's your baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's just my way of saying like lots of people fail at their business. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know? And like you said, it was a learning opportunity. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I learned so much. I yeah. mean, I don't know what cost of goods sold, you know, means that you know, like the, you know, you learn things, you know, yeah. that you know by doing, obviously. So you know, I had this unique experience, um, and who knows if I'll be able to use all of what I learned in the future, but. Yeah. Um, so but, what is some advice that you can give someone, not, maybe not just the brick and mortar person, mm-hmm. but for an entrepreneur who's just starting out, I know it's a little bit vague, but what are some tips that you could give a starting out entrepreneur? Like they're, they're just starting and they really need to believe in themselves and they're not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, you know, obviously there's a lot of mindset work, I suppose with, um, but I tend to, to dwell on some of the fundamentals. So you know, now as a business owner, I'm always looking at how how quickly I can be profitable. Like mm-hmm. I want to be profitable immediately. So I want to, I'm interested in businesses where I don't have a tremendous amount of overhead, but that's based on my previous experience, obviously. Well, I think that's smart. But know your numbers, know your expenses and be realistic. I see so many entrepreneurs when they are factoring in their expenses, they don't factor in their time. Uh, yes. You know, they'll factor in the cost of the tools or supplies um, or products, but they won't factor in their time 
um, that's involved in marketing and putting that product together or um, hitting the pavement, trying to like onboard their clients, that sort of thing. So they discount it because they don't think about paying themselves. But if they weren't doing it, they'd have to pay somebody right. to do it. So you, usually entrepreneurs are usually whatever they think they're, whatever they want to charge their clients, they typically have to multiply it by three. And that's scary. To pay themselves. Um, to, to Yeah. In order to have a viable business, I think that's typically what I find entrepreneurs doing is undercharging by, by that amount. And what about the person who is afraid to go out and charge what their time is worth because they're afraid? I mean, they're bootstrapping, right? So yeah. they're wanting to go out and find paid clients or make money, but they're afraid that if they you know, they charge really what they're worth that mm -hmm. they won't get that business. Well, I always think of this example. So and tell me if you can relate to this. Okay. You're, you're in the, you're in the drugstore and you're looking at hair conditioner and you see one that's $3 and you see one that's $7 and then you see one that's $20. Which one automatically do you think is going to do a better job on your hair? I look at the ingredients. <laughs> well, you have, I know. I should have used that example with you because you have some um, deeper than average knowledge on hair care. Yeah. But I think typically people would just, even if they weren't going to purchase the $20 one, maybe because of budget reasons, they would think, oh, that's the better conditioner. So what I'm, um, so, so if you value So you yourself, think that you get what you pay for. I think most, I think your customer, tip, your typical customer, if you value your time and don't bargain basement your your fees. Your customer will assume that they're they're getting a a quality service because you've priced yourself, and you are going to price some customers out. But in the in the long term, who's your ideal customer? the The one who's looking for a bargain, who's um, going to try to leave your your leave your service as, <laughs> as quickly yes. as possible, or somebody who who understands your value and wants to use your services and more of your services because they actually value you, your, uh, what you're providing, and um, and will pay for it. I think that's really great advice. I think yeah. that can be applied industry-wide, like regardless yeah, of I think so. the type of business that you have. It actually really was a question of mine um, is when we were talking about your ideal client. I was thinking about how um, – I mean, are you still doing your media rescue business? Yeah, I, I am. Um, I do have some clients with that. And the reason I hesitate is because I am want to re completely rebrand um, the types of services we offer just based on having the company for a while and realizing what it is that not only I enjoy doing, the services I enjoy providing, but also um, – the kind of ROI that I want to see for my clients. So we're moving towards like away from social media management um, services and moving towards online customer service because it's something that a lot of businesses um, either ignore mm -hmm. or just um, don't understand that the modern world is we're not picking up the phone anymore and calling to complain. We're going and like, Hey, if we've had a bad experience, we're telling everybody online, That's we're right. tweeting about it. We're mentioning it on Facebook. Yeah, everybody's a critic. 
yeah, everybody's every, and that's, it's, and then we're not going back. That's just how it was. And, and conversely, people will also do the same if they have something, it's at the extremes, right? If they have something extremely nice to say about your company, um, they will talk about it and they'll mention you online. And if they have an extremely bad experience, um, they will do the same. But if you're not there to listen and and monitor and see what people are saying about your business, um, you're just missing an incredible opportunity to, um, one, make something right, or two, um, you know, show your gratitude to that customer for for that recognition and then solidifying that customer relationship. Well, isn't part of that the social media management? Like if you have a client, let's say there's a restaurant and you have a a, a restaurant client, Mm -hmm. part of that is, you know, part of the social media management I think now has become that reputation or, you know, trying to take a look at some review that was posted online. I mean, it has to, it almost becomes like a full-time job um, monitoring those things. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just depends. I mean, everybody define social media management maybe a little different. It can be broader, I suppose. Um, for me in our business, we we define social media management as um, maintaining, you know, your posts online gotcha. and and uh, making sure your content is on some sort of schedule that's consistent with with your messaging and your brand. Um, and we've sort of separated out the the customer service um, and the monitoring of chatter and responding. So we've done things where we've been the intermediary between a company's um, online support system um, or their official support team and the online. So we may catch something online, respond to it so they know that, hey, we hear you, we care, this is how, these are the steps we're doing to fix it. Um, and and so they know that there's a real person there. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's measurable because it's amazing how you can take somebody that's at a 10 who's angry and take them down to a five just by responding. And then when you fix the problem, they will actually become your loyal customer because they're not used to being heard and 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 taken seriously and immediately, um, you know, their problem being immediately addressed. That is really good customer service, and it seems like it's common sense, but it it doesn't happen a lot of times. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses are afraid to have social media profiles because mm-hmm. they're afraid of reviews that can be on there, but it is an opportunity, I think, to roll out that red carpet for your customer and let them see that you're incredibly authentic and very transparent about your business practices. And that you care. I, for, I have an example. Uh, so I was at, last year I was at a winery and they just, they'd opened, they were pretty, they were pretty new. It was one of the Virginia wineries and I really enjoyed my experience. And so because I'm a business owner and I know how important reviews are, I immediately went home and wrote about my experience on Yelp and Mm -hmm. and gave them a five-star review. But I noticed they hadn't claimed their Yelp page. And so I was like, hmm. So I just emailed them just to let them know that I wrote the review and how nice of a time I had. And I wish them the best in their business. And by the way, I noticed they hadn't claimed their Yelp review. And they had done, they had not claimed their Yelp uh, page, rather, they had not claimed their Yelp page intentionally because they were afraid of trolls and, you know, what people might say. And they, they just had this idea that the, the public were just, was just using that as a, a way to beat up business. And, and that's just a shame that they thought that. And I, I tried to explain why they, they should mm-hmm. and that people are going to review you whether you're there or not, but 
in this case, you know, you're not there, so you didn't see my nice review. Um, and, you know, if people complain, not every bad review is written by a troll. In fact, most bad reviews are not trolls. They're customers that had a legitimate experience at your place of business, and they're telling you about it. So it's intelligence for you. So I use Yelp a lot in terms of like choosing where I do business. So before I go to a new restaurant or, you know, get a home service provider, I'll look at their Yelp reviews. And, you know, maybe there's a troll review in there, but that those are the outliers. And if you know how to read reviews, you know, you ignore the outliers and you look for the consistent comments because mm-hmm. that's the truth. The things that people are saying over and over and over again is the truth. So the the company, I'll give them a shout out, JCS Home Services. They um, they're a home uh, maintenance business. So they do gutter cleaning and chimney sweeps and air duct cleaning, dryer vent cleaning. So they they have a like a handful of services that they do and they do really well. I'd hired them to clean my gutters and I got an amazing customer service experience. Like they gave me an hour window. They called 15 minutes before they showed up. They did a good job. They cleaned up. I mean, it was just so professional. I was so impressed. And so I got to talking to the owner and he became a client. Um, and, you know, <laughs> all of their Yelp reviews, I, before I hired him though, I read the Yelp reviews and like, all the Yelp reviews said said very consistent things. Great customer service, came on time, did a good job. Like the that was repeated over and over and over again in all of these Yelp reviews. So I knew that I could hire this. Did they this were they company. one of the businesses that had claimed their page? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's okay. yeah. Jason's the owner and he is very aware of his Yelp reviews. He will respond to reviews. Um, and he does a very good job mm-hmm. of um of that. And so he's he's a really good example of of somebody that shows that he cares about his business. Because mm-hmm. even when I was looking at his Yelp reviews, I saw that he'd responded, like thanking people for their comments and that sort of thing. And uh, and so I knew that he was a, you know, a very involved, engaged business owner. Okay, so we talked about DC PodFest, but what we haven't talked about is some of the new things that you have going on. And I know what they are. You do. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But I, I'm excited and I really think that they're a good idea. So, you know, for somebody who doesn't know what Sparon is and or they don't know what, you know, about, about the power box, like do, do share all of the multi things that you have your hands in. <laughs> I know. It, it seems like a lot. So Sparon uh, is a company that I launched with a partner uh, late in 2018. Um, it's called Sparent, which is a made-up word, but um, it's a combination of a parent and spare. So we are, it's a virtual uh, staffing agency, and our staff is made up of stay-at-home moms. So they're moms with skills to spare. So we um, we bring on stay-at-home moms that are highly skilled. They, they're coming from corporate America. Some of them have their own businesses or they higher education. They're all based in the U.S. Um, and their most important job right now is raising their family. And But they still have those skills that they are itching to put to use. They just need um, need a work environment that is incredibly flexible so that they don't take that 
precious time away from their young children, and we're able to offer them that with um, virtual work. So um, we give them that flexibility. If they're up with the kids, maybe they'll get some work done. Um, they choose their projects. We match them up based on their their skill sets. And the reason it started was because my partner Meredith and I, we each had our individual businesses, and she was actually the first person to hire a stay-at-home mom. Um, like on a freelance basis, like just to help her. She she didn't really need to hire an employee, but she had different tasks, tasks and things, repetitive tasks in her business that were kind of slowing her down and keeping her from the growth related tasks. And so she hired a stay at home mom, and she kept talking about how efficient and how what a great job she was doing and what how how it was really just changing her business dynamic. And I said, you know, I think I could use one. And she's like, well, I think she's got some, I think she could take some extra hours. And so I hired her and I would give her like an allowance of like 10 hours a week and projects and she would get it done in like three hours. I wow. mean, because she was, I was like, I should have known this about moms. Like they're the ultimate multitaskers. And then we, we hired another one. And I think by the time we were on our third, I looked to Meredith over a coffee meeting one day. And I was like, you know, we could start an agency just staffed by stay-at-home moms. Our experience has been so good. Um, there's, they've, we've just had such a positive experience and it's helping us grow our companies. We can't be the only women business owners that, that need a little help. I mean, virtual assistants are not new. There's a gazillion out there, but uh, we really wanted to have an agency so that the, anyone that hired us not only had um, a sparent um, assigned to them, or maybe more, depending on how big their project is. But they also had project managers, so they didn't have to worry if their if their virtual assistant was sick or on vacation. Um, you know, they didn't hire just one person; they have an agency backing them up. So, so we want to, you know, basically be their business bestie. You know, provide them with a team, a virtual team that they can rely on no matter what. And so far, it's, it's been great. It's It's been a blast to bring these parents on, um, get this pool of talent, and then see how it's helping other business owners. Um, our, we will, uh, we don't discriminate against our, you know, in terms of like women business owners versus male business owners. But I think just because of our branding and who we are, we tend to attract women business owners. That tends to be our clientele. But so exciting. I mean, I mean, what, I mean, there's nothing that would get me out of bed more than just helping other business people. So, and I feel like we're doing that and doing it well. So that's, it's been a blast. I mean, we're still growing, you know, we could, you know, we could use more business still. So if anybody needs a virtual assistant uh, or what we call a sparent, you know, definitely look us up at sparent.co. And is, do you, do you have like a vetting process? So let's say you meet somebody and, they have a really neat set of skills. Maybe they're really great at social media. Maybe they're incredible at Excel or mm-hmm. some, inc- you know, yeah. really uh, marketable skill. How do you make sure that like they are sparent quality? Yeah. So we have um, we have a at, at the beginning we only hired people that we knew or that knew another or another spirit had to recommend them. So there was a little bit of, we've gone a little bit beyond that now, but we, we definitely interview them and then we project test them on our own businesses. So we give them um, based on their skills that we give them, or, I mean, Meredith and I are both, you know, multipreneurs. And so we always have something, you know, I'm always in need of a virtual assistant. So we just project test them on our own. So um, before we hand them off to an external client, and, and that seems to be working really well. Um, it gives us an idea of their work style 
And and then by getting to know their style and their personalities beyond just their skill sets, we can make a better match between client and sparent. Um, because there there's a personality factor, I think, at play too. You know, there's if we get a really kind of like um, type A personality business owner, well, then I know like the parents that are a better fit for them. And I know ones that probably wouldn't be a good would fit. Would you say that uh, a person who's type A would work better with somebody who's a little bit more relaxed and or somebody who can speak their language and they're also type A? I, I, I try to do type A to type A. Okay. Um, somebody that is very um, detailed, somebody that turns projects in ahead of time as opposed to on time. <laughs> um, because that's, you know, with a type A personality, if you turn it on time, it's late, right? I mean, because I, I can relate to that. Like I, wa- I want it ahead of time. So yeah, you look at those things. So what about, um, tell me about the the power box. Oh gosh. Yeah. So power box is another project that I'm doing with a partner, a different business partner who was a former client of Social Media Rescue. And it's kind of a long story, but essentially Power Box is a subscription box um, where we're trying to target um, corporate gift giving. But it's a it's a localized box that is um, compiled with products and services from women-owned local business owners. So our launch city is the Washington, D.C. area. It's where my partner and I are, my business partner and I are from. And so, um, and our soft launch is next week to PNC Bank, which is exciting. We are presenting the our first power box to um, 50 women um, in sort of a leadership role within PNC. And we're going to be able to get their feedback, talk to them about the story. Um, we're really, it's just sort of intelligence gathering for us. We were invited and we're very excited about that. But we also need feedback. Like what's the, you know, what's the experience like? This is a brand new you know, subscription box is a whole thing. It's yeah. a whole industry, and there's so much to learn. I don't know what I'm doing. The first boxes I ordered, um, you can check it out on my Instagram story under <laughs> under business fails. I have a, a, a highlight called fails, and my first box I ordered was so tiny. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't look at the dimensions, but I didn't. It's just so dumb. Um, so I had to rush order um, the right size boxes before this event, but. It was a comedy of errors. So, yeah, I mean, you think, you know, after being in business for myself for so long, I wouldn't make idiotic, like, errors. But I, I make mistakes all the time. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't have to be a genius. I prove you don't have to be a genius to run a business. You just So what made you come up with this idea to do this? It was. I mean, there's. I know there's a subscription box essentially for everything. Jewelry, I know. makeup, clothes. I know. Do we need another subscription box? I don't know. Maybe not. But um, it came about because my business partner and I, we are both longtime entrepreneurs we both credit our financial independence uh, to entrepreneurship. It's it's gotten us out of sticky situations. Just the fact that we can be financially independent, it's we credit it to our confidence. I mean, really everything I owe to entrepreneurship, and so I really love the idea of being able to support other female entrepreneurs, small business owners that can use that exposure to a corporate clientele. Um, we really like that idea, and we really like the idea of using it as a vehicle to give back. And so, um, my partner, she she credits entrepreneurship with her ability to get out of a 
um, a bad situation, like a dangerous situation. And so we want to give back to women in crisis. So we're tying in that with, with the long-term vision of the box. So we're trying to create a lot and also trying to get corporate America invested in their local communities because it all starts with the small, I mean, the small businesses are what provide the jobs in America. I mean, it's really, when they say small business is the backbone of America, that's not just a saying, that's that's an economic fact. So, and it's what, you know, creates character in a community, jobs. I mean, it is, they're, they're so important. And, and we want to, you know, we want to support women because, you know, it wasn't that long ago where women business owners were not a thing. So we want it to be a thing. And so anything we can do to kind of support that is, you know, just, again, just Absolutely. keeps us going. So, yeah. So will there be future opportunities for, let's say there's a listener mm-hmm. who has something they want to put in the next box? Right. Yeah, there is. We are um, actively looking to grow our um our box contributors, and we do consider them partnerships and long-term relationships. So as we're growing, um, we are offering our, our box contributors um, a presence on our site. They'll be promoted on our social media. Um, we have informational cards that go into the box telling that that particular business owner's story as well as where you can find them online and where you can order additional products. So we really want to tell their story and Really, it's just um, it's a way to, um, just like the Soundry was, and it's a way of like you know exposing the community to artists. We want the community to get invested in their in their women-owned small businesses. What would be something that would be really great to go in the box that you have not found yet? That's a that's a good question. I kind of like the idea of. Um, having something experience related. So right now it's our first box has things you can, you know, touch and feel and use like uh, consumable type handmade products. But I would love to fill the box with something that was more experiential. Like a, like a movie, a dinner and a movie or uh, an experience to do a food tour. Yeah. Something like that. That was, you know, I have the person for you. Okay. Yeah. It was orchestrated, you know, with a women owned business. I think that's just fun. Um, and then ultimately because they're localized, I would love to have a box. Like we want to have box parties. So the people that have ordered boxes can come together, meet each other, open the boxes together and also meet the business owners represented within the box. So it's kind of a more personal experience. You're getting me so excited. Really? I love this. You do like it. Yeah, I okay. mean, I'm not wanting to talk over you because you said it was a pet bee, but I am so excited. Well, I mean, we shared the the idea of bringing people together. We we shared that love of bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like between the two of us, we probably host five meetups, right? Like we, we do a <laughs> lot of things. Yes. But yeah, I the idea, my mind is just racing right now of all the people that, you know, I have a mental Rolodex of all the people who... I think would absolutely love this. That have something that could go in there. They have an incredible story. Yeah. Um, so I just need to figure out like how to help you with this. Yeah, d- definitely feel free to connect me with anybody. It's still a it's a very young young business, and I'll be the first to tell you that I obviously don't know what I'm doing. So we're the way I'm approaching this is just one tiny step at a time. Sure. And the PNC opportunity 
was a bit of a surprise opportunity, but it was something I wasn't ready for. But at the same time, it's like, you know, PNC wants some boxes. PNC is going to get some boxes. Uh, yeah, you can't um, turn that I, down. How can I turn that opportunity down? It's it, I'm, you know, almost killing myself trying to make it happen. It's incredibly hard to do um, in such a short time frame. But um, there are a lot of obstacles in the way, but it'll happen one way or another. But yeah, it's um, it's a it's a very young business. I'm still like, I don't know, finding my way and kind of seeing what direction it's. I have a feeling this this one might surprise me. It might go take a left turn on me. I'm just not sure. Okay. Yeah. So you told us about your love for you know the podcasting community, um, working and supporting female entrepreneurs, which of course is our mission. Yeah. Um, but tell me something that makes you feel inspired or something that makes you feel like your best self. Yeah, that's a great question, Lisa. Gosh, um, you said that like five times. I know. So you, so well, be, well, it's because, yeah, you're asking really, really great questions. I think just creating something that didn't exist that I'm completely like responsible for. I'm the same way. I'm yeah, it so hard. I mean, it's... It, <laughs> I'm not super religious, but it must feel, it must be like what God feels like. Yes, it's, it's like a calling. Yeah, it's it's just it's just cool because it's it, you use skill sets you have, and then you learn new skill sets. And there's just um, something so excited about always learning along the way. And yeah, I think that's it. I mean, just yeah. creating something out of nothing. Yeah. Um, and if that nothing can become something that has revenue, um, that's, that's a bonus. That's great. Yeah. I, I am, I am not one that is ashamed of making money. I've never had that problem. I think money is a great tool for freedom and, you know, independence. And there certainly, um, there is capitalism can be very corrupt, um, but in its original form, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, but we've, there's things in place that have made it easy for corruption to take place. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, so you're it. a really ex uh, incredible example that you can chase multiple foxes and still be, <laughs> or multiple rabbits and still be incredibly successful because um, I don't know how familiar you are with Marie Forleo. Yes, I know Marie. Okay, She's incredible. So, yeah, and so, um, I mean, I don't know her, know her, but I follow her I feel her like stuff. I know her, but I, I know, don't know right? her. <laughs> um, but I like it that she helps other people like us who we do multiple things because out in the world, if you're interested in more than one thing, everybody goes, ugh, she's doing another thing. How many things is she going to do? But to us, it feels not like multiple things. It feels like we are doing what we love yeah. and putting an idea out in the world and making something out of nothing is to us the same thing. Even if it's a box yeah. or a company of, you know, or an agency of women that want to use their brains, you know, in addition to raising a beautiful family, mm -hmm. or it's putting a uh, you know, an event together to bring people together. To us, it feels like it's all the same because we're doing something that we really love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And not everything is going to be successful. I mean, I have, you know, a small handful of businesses. I, you know, they're not all going to be million dollar businesses. I mean, maybe, but I mean, the potential is there, but I'm also a realist. So um, yeah. And, and I used to feel really weird about saying I had more than one business because everybody wants you to have a very clean, um, succinct 
elevator pitch. There's that pressure. Um, But then I just sort of got over it because I realized I knew several men with multiple businesses and I didn't feel like they were being, um, people weren't skeptical about that. Like that was like, oh, you're a man. You've got, you got 10 companies. That makes sense. And it wasn't, wasn't like, oh, you're a woman with 10 companies. You're flighty. You know, I felt like there was like sort of a a double standard. uh, Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of those going around. So I kind (laughs) of just got over it and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to work hard on my companies. Um, you know, I try not to be very, you know, hyperbolic about them. Like, you know, I try to just kind of quietly work on them and, and, you know, I didn't, I was working on Powerbox way before I said anything about it to anybody. Um, and I kind of wish I hadn't even, even now I'm like, oh, maybe I should have waited until after the soft launch to mention it, but I had to get certain social media assets up and things like that in advance. And so it was kind of hard to just completely hide it. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I just have to say that you have a huge community whether you know it or not, there is a huge community of people that rally behind you. And when they see that you're doing something, they have your back. So when I saw that picture, look, I'm tearing up a little. Oh my gosh. So when I saw that picture on Instagram, I got really excited. Uh I don't think to myself, oh gosh, she's off doing another thing. I'm thinking there is another thing I can support her on. So so I'd love for you to just, you know, if there's any takeaway from today, besides the fact that we like share a brain, there's obviously <laughs> a reason why we sat down like two years ago and had tea that we knew that there was some chemistry there. Right. Still is there. But every time I see that you're starting a new company or you're creating a new love, not once do I think to myself, oh, she's off doing another thing. Why can't she pick thing? one thing? I'm thinking to myself, oh, yes, another thing I can support her on. Yeah, and I I truly mean, and I so appreciate that, and I think that's the right attitude. I mean, I love seeing you know ambitious, like smart women out there, like doing their thing, and I think you know right now I'm seeing so much, so so many women supporting women, and it's so it's empowering and it's inspiring, and it's it's making so many things possible that are you know sometimes tough or impossible. Yeah. I mean, but you were going out and creating this life for yourself long before others were able. So in a way you like really paved, you know, this way, you know, this way for all of us. I mean, I'm 42 years old and I I started my first business when I was 18, but that's different. Mm -hmm. I didn't really find my true passion and what I really wanted to do until someone made me Like somebody sat down and said to me, Lisa, tell me why you can't do it. I was like, well, I guess I can. Yeah. And then, you know, I created UC Fempreneur and I feel like I'm doing what I meant to do, like for the rest of my life. I mean, I don't know it will become, but I feel like I'm doing my life's work. And it took me a really long time to find that. Yeah. But I think all of those steps beforehand, like did their job and getting you, you know, to that place. So I think sometimes we get too caught up on like finding our passion. I think that can sometimes cripple us because it's like, oh, I don't really love doing this. But um, like, for instance, one of my first businesses, um, this was the one that I think Nicole mentioned to you, the knocking on the door one. (laughs) So I had a friend and she'd been laid off. This is the early 90s. There was a recession. I don't know if if you remember that, that, but there was a huge recession. And a friend of mine had been laid off and she could literally wallpaper her living room with 
job rejection notices. And she was, um, she came to my house in tears because she was worried she was going to lose her house. Like her, her, she depleted her savings. At the time I had just started my first business, but it was very young. I was young. Business was young. And I, I just felt helpless, but I was like, well, what if we cleaned houses for people? Like, I feel like we could do that. Like, let's find something we can do. And so it was literally like five minutes later, we walked outside my house and we went to the, you know, I was in my, it was in college. So I, I was in an, I was living in like a dinky little townhouse with like 10 other roommates. So we walked to where the nice houses were and we just started knocking on doors, offering to give people an estimate to clean their house. There was literally five minutes of thought went into this. <laughs> Little did we know that um, we would be invited in and asked the first house we knocked on, they said, yes, please come in and give us a quote. We hadn't discussed what we were going to charge, anything. So I look at <laughs> Kathy, Kathy looks at me and we give a quote. I think it was $65 or something like that for this like, McMansion. It was, oh my gosh. So anyway, by in two hours, we had a complete we were booked. We were, we had gotten enough business to like fill the week. And we, we started cleaning houses the next day. And we did that until she found a job. It wasn't my passion. It wasn't her passion, but you know what? We had a business. It was paying her bills. It was putting extra money in my pocket while my, my business was growing. Um, it was the hard, it was, the hardest job. In fact, it was like so laborious, like cleaning somebody's house is not, it's no joke. It's hard work. And it was just two of us. Um, but yeah, we, you know, she would pick me up every morning and we would start, start going from house to house to house. And we did that every day until we didn't need to anymore. So it wasn't wow. passion, but I learned a lot about business. I learned, it was really great lesson. Cause I was like, I'm, I never, I'm never going to worry about money again, because if I'm ever, like desperate. If I ever really need money, I know I can get out there and just knock on doors. Wow! Because I did it once, and I, I bet I could do it again. Anybody, anybody. If you if you need money and you want to be, you know, in charge of your you know destiny. If nobody's hiring you, hire yourself. Knock on the door and offer to do something for somebody. Whether it's mowing their grass, painting their shutters, cleaning their house, scooping poo. I mean, the service service businesses are great. They're so low overhead and they're so easy to start. Um, so yeah, so it wasn't, you know, it, it's not always about passion. I think the more you do, the more you're led towards passion. But I almost think you have to earn your passion. Like you can't just like come out of the box and like, I'm going to do what I love because I'm worth it. I think you kind of have to pay your dues a little bit sometimes and sure. gain some skills and some moxie and and then you'll find, you know, you'll that will lead you to your passion. Hell yeah. That is really great advice. I'm yeah. like furiously writing. Yeah. I mean, I'm passionate about being financially independent, you know. I mean, I love what I do. I think do, it's everyone's goal. But sure. really, if that's, I mean, if you just start there, don't be so concerned about the specific passion. Just be, be have your passion be financial independence. Yeah. So as we wrap up, tell everyone who's listening how they can contact you. Maybe they, um, maybe they need a spirit. Maybe yeah. they uh, have something they want to go in the power box. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they um, want to, you know, be a vendor at the PodFest. Like, tell us how we can reach you. It's super easy. My handle is the same across all platforms, Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, and it's Jen Runs Business. 
Okay. That's pretty simple. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can add things to the show notes, but yeah, that's really, it's um, good branding. Yeah. I was like, I was trying to find a handle that, you know, I had different handles for places. I was like, oh, I, that's an amateur move. I know, I know better than that. And I, I'm not a personal brand. I don't really want to be a personal brand, but um, because I have multiple things going on, I needed some place where <clears throat> like people could find me, like, you know, when I'm on things like this. When you're yeah. famous. Yeah. <laughs> famous, infamous. No, not looking for fame, but yeah. Well, I think you already have it. I think you're doing really great things. Oh, thank you. Lisa. So thank you for being here. Um, I will be sure to add all of the things, all the things thank in, you the, so much. in the show, in the show notes for everyone. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to find other ways to work together. Yeah, I would love that. You are such a dynamo and so smart and Thank you. ambitious. And I'm always in awe of all that I see you have going on. So Likewise. It was a pleasure. Being Thank on. you so much. So even though you're kind of transitioning out of the social media management arena, mm -hmm. um, one of the things I really wanted to hear from you since you're incredibly experienced is – um, a tool that you really like or something that can really help. Um, I don't want to use the word automate because that mm -hmm. takes the human yeah. element out of yeah. it. But, you know, so that we can um, essentially take back our time and focus on the things that we really need to be focusing on. And we can, you know, use a tool or resource for social media that you think is helpful. Do you have something that you love that you use daily? Yeah, I do. I use a tool called Buffer, which is pretty popular. I don't think, uh, yeah, I think I most people Buffer. have probably heard of Buffer. I, I like Buffer because it is a tool that keeps improving. I've used other social media management tools and I didn't find that they were um, improving their product mm -hmm. uh, along the way. Like they kind of just made this product, this tool, and just kind of let it live. But Buffer is um, continually improving their their online management tools, and um, they have a great podcast too. By the way, um, they're very oh, really? yeah they're very involved in in social media. So I really I really like them. And then another you know this is nothing new, but um, Canva I use Canva a I lot. Use Canva times. Um, and and again I love Canva because they continually improve that tool that content creation tool. So I, in fact I was just looking at it yesterday and I've just noticed how many, you know, templates they've added. Yeah. I mean, they have a book cover template. If you want to design your book cover, they have templates for that. They have templates for eBooks. They have templates for um, CD covers. I mean, they have templates for everything. And, you know, they have that opportunity where you can add your brand colors. And so that's, you know, I do the brand colors and my brand fonts. I have that in there. So if I need to put together some sort of visual for myself or for a client, then I can just, you know, go there and, and that tool just, you know, automatically plugs those things in. Mm -hmm. So saves, saves a lot of time. So in terms of, I didn't know that Buffer had a podcast, but since you have so much experience in podcasting and I really don't, I don't think most people, what was the year that you started your very first podcast? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was 2010. And it was started in the Soundry, the business that failed. So the podcast was one thing that I pulled from that experience. And at the time, you know, podcasting was really young. Um, so nobody really knew what a podcast was. It wasn't native on your phone or anything like that. I didn't even really know what we were doing. But the idea was that we could potentially give the artists and creatives that were coming through 
are building an external, an extra, some external exposure. So before that, it was like you'd have to come to our building to see these people and meet these people and do these shows. But I thought, oh, well, here's this thing where we can put it out and like having it, you know, go outside of our building and reach people that way. And I thought, well, even if we reach five people and introduce them to this um, independent artist that they had no idea existed, you know, we, we were, that, that makes it worthwhile, that just that would make it worthwhile. And so, yeah, and then when the business closed, I moved, I moved the podcast studio to my dining room. Yeah. And that's, that's where it stayed. So I had a co-host, uh, a local comedian, his name's Tim Trueheart. Um, you'll see him on the stand-up circuit. And we kept that podcast going for about seven years. Wow. And then I just felt like I'd said everything. You know, we talked about creative entre- entrepreneurship, how creatives could use, um, you know, a business mindset and treat their art as if it were a business and, and, and make it viable financially for them. And that was fun. And it was great. And we had great guests. And we even had, for a couple of years, we had an improv element that was really creative and fun. And I missed that format, but it was also very uh, time-consuming to maintain that format because we booked two guests, a real guest and a yeah. fake guest. And then we wrote these characters in. And there was really some comedy gold that I – when I have the the time, I would like to go back and edit those episodes down because we talked too much. We did the, you know, we did everything wrong before we did anything right. And and so one of those things was just the first 20 minutes, Tim and I would just talk, yeah. just chat. What's going on with you? And it was looking back, I'm like, who cares? Like, who cares what was going on with us? Nobody cared except for maybe me and him, yeah. <laughs> you know, as friends, we cared. But why were we boring people? I mean, it was, it was not interesting. And so we would it would be 20 minutes of us talking, loving the sound of our own voices before we really got into the meat of the show, which once it was there, um, was great. And then maybe the good stuff would be 20 minutes and then we'd have 20 more minutes of crap. So, and that's just me being honest. And I think, you know, lots of podcasters have are and have made that mistake. So, yeah, I think I learned that too. I was, um, there's a, a several, like podcasting groups online. Mm-hmm. And I joined a few of them. Um, although I do want to learn more about your, um, your meetup group. I didn't even know that you had yeah. that. I'm not even remotely surprised. You do so many <laughs> in- incredible things and we'll come back to that. I promise. Okay. But I did learn from one of the Facebook groups that I'm in that a lot of podcasters make the mistake of rambling on for 10 or so minutes, or it could even be three minutes. And by the time that they've really gotten, they could have a really great guest. And by the time they've gotten to the meat of that interview, somebody has clicked away or, you know, they've lost interest. And so they've moved on. And I think that's a shame. It is a shame. And, and I think the, the biggest lesson I learned was you really have to respect people's time. I think that one of the biggest sins we can make is to waste other people's time because you can't make more of it. It's like the truly non-renewable resource, right? If I waste your time, you can't get that time back. Right. You know, I can make more money. You know, I can, you know, I, that, that's, that's renewable, but time is, is just so, so precious. And so just to think that I've spent who knows how many episodes essentially wasting people's time, I feel incredibly guilty. And, and towards the end of the podcast, I was feeling that responsibility, like, 
hey, you have a responsibility as a podcaster because your voice, you're not just talking in your, we're not just talking in the library. We're not just talking in my dining room. Our voices are going like in unpredictable up places. And out, yeah. Up and out. You, you know, you cannot control and you don't know, you know, how you're affecting people. Yeah. Like it's real, and it's really hard to predict. But I mean, I think if you keep that in mind in terms of wasting time, um, ways you might be hurting people or hitting people at a wrong time with your words. I don't think we were ever um, insensitive or at least intentionally insensitive, but you always wonder, like, yeah. you know, what if that thing hurt somebody's feelings? Oh, I see. You know, uh, yeah, you just, I, I, you start feeling a little um, like, I think you're being hard on yourself. I'm sure it was no, fine. Well, yeah. I'm sure it's fine too, but you, you know, it, but I was taking the responsibility of, yeah. of it, serious more seriously towards so the for end. somebody who started a podcast in 2010 before anybody knew what a podcast was right and you've you know been a part of this community help build the community because now you're on your what eighth annual oh it's just f- five it okay, feels like fifth. it feels like eight <laughs> but it's the fifth, it's the fifth annual dc podcast yeah okay but so if you got everybody in a room and everybody got to speak up about what they learned like, what is the most common mistakes that a beginner podcaster makes that if they had somebody who was really experienced that could say, hey, by the way, what would you tell them? I think you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's really editing. You know, it's it's really editing. I, I see a lot of podcasters whose podcast premise is, it's just me and my friends talking. What's well, fun for you. It's fun for you, you and your friends talking. That's great. You guys are having a great time. But we make this mistake of thinking we're more interesting than we are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's one mistake is just not knowing, not defining your audience and speaking to somebody specifically. Like, for instance, this this podcast, DC Fempreneur, um, you know right away just from the name that this is a podcast that's going to appeal to female entrepreneurs, yep. women business owners, or P- or women who are thinking about starting a business. This is very focused. You know exactly who your audience is. We're not just two friends talking. Although we are friends. I mean, we are friends. We, yeah, coincidentally, we are friends. I'm so happy about <laughs> I'm really happy about that. But um, it's not the backbone. That's not the backbone of your, your show's mission. So how does somebody... Um, is there a tool that a beginner can use to edit their podcast? I mean, when you say editing, you mean sound. Yeah, I mean, you know, lis- listening with a critical ear to to your podcast and taking out the things that are uninteresting, um, making sure that the audio is high enough quality that makes it pleasant to listen to. Uh, I think good content ultimately rules. But you are in people's ears. Like they have earbuds in their ears typically. And so you're very close to their brain. And it makes it for a very intimate experience, but it also makes for a highly unpleasant experience if, you're, if your levels are all over the place. Um, you're, you know, uh, so you want to be conscious. If, if things you can't understand people, um, one of my pet peeves is when there are four or five people on a podcast and they're all talking over each other. I find that really hard to listen to. Um, so yeah, I think I think those things are, are critical. Everyone tends to focus on, I want to grow my audience and I want to monetize. But I think if you focused on the quality of the content first, foremost, just really double down on the quality of your content, everything else will come. It's exactly what I'm working on, actually. It's one of the reasons why when I reach out to someone and say, hey, I really want to feature you on the podcast. And they ask me 
what do I use? Do I use Zoom? Do I use this uh, this app or that app? I say, uh, no, I like to do it in person because I know that there won't be any changing of our voices. It's going to sound the exact same. We're going to sound like we're actually in a room together because we are. We are in a room together. Yeah. Yeah. When I had my podcast, we always interviewed people in person too. And we did that because that's how we started. And I think it's just, it was hard to to move away from that. But I liked it because I could see people's facial expressions and I felt that we really bonded with our guests, like we shared this unique experience through the podcast. And so I just felt like we got better interviews. And we also, um, this was completely unplanned, but the byproduct of that was that um, Tim, my co-host and I, we really grew a great network of people that knew us. They were grateful for being on the podcast. Um, and we, you know, for the most part, still call them friends today. So that was sort of this just extra fringe benefit that we didn't plan, but we just ended up, um, you know, appreciating it so much. Yeah. I, that there's, I say the same thing as one of the reasons why I really like recording in person is because I feel like by the time we've left the podcast, um, after recording one, I have a, a really crystal clear understanding of their business. I know a little bit more about their story. Like I could be interviewing somebody I've known for years, but I learned something mm-hmm. by talking to them. And had I not done that interview, um, I wouldn't have learned that about them. So I do definitely prefer the in-person experience. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really helpful. Are there any podcasts that you listen to on a daily basis that you love? I mean, I know you don't have your own podcast at the moment, but are there others that you really like to listen to? Yeah, I, I tend to either listen to business podcasts or true crime. <laughs> true crime. Uh, yeah. Um, I really enjoy a podcast called The Pitch. And it's, I guess it's a lot like Shark Tank, but it's it's less um, prime time. You know, it's, it's more real. Like you really get to know um, you, the business on a little deeper level and they follow up with like sort of what happened after and it's it's narrated and it's, it's just really, really well done. Um, there's also a one called How I Built This, which I believe is hosted by Guy Raz. And he talks to founders of well-known companies and he has them tell their stories. And it's so um, inspiring because you just get to hear just the stuff that you don't see you, you, with these particular people, because these businesses are so well-known, everyone's very familiar with the success, but there was so much struggle to get there for all of them. And it's, it's really, um, it, it just really gives you a good perspective on what entrepreneurship is really like. Yeah. I think that would be a really interesting podcast or just an interview in general to, because I agree with you that a lot of times um, somebody, you know, it's kind of like that duck on the water, right? It's like everybody sees how great you're doing on the surface, but what they don't see are those little the, web feet yeah, under the, the feet surface. Yeah, paddling their, their little hearts out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Yeah. yeah. So if you, um, this is one of the things I was, I wanted to ask you earlier when we were talking about like the fact that you're a multi-passionpreneur mm-hmm. and that you do many things is if there was a, a project and all of the barriers could be removed, okay, what is it that you would want to do? Or what is it like you have a few things that you're thinking about doing and if you didn't overthink it and you just decided to go for it, 
what would you want to do? Oh my gosh, that's a great question that I feel like I, I need to I need more time to ponder. Um I really, you know, I really like putting together events. Like the conference DC Podfest um, was quite the experience the first year. I, did, I had no idea what I was doing. And and I, thank God I didn't because if I'd known everything that was involved, I don't know that I would have done the first one. But because I've garnered like those skills and now I know like kind of what's involved, um, I love, I just have always loved bringing people together that have a commonality because so much magic happens, you know, with with that um, congregation of people, you know, collaborations and relationships and things are are created just from those relationships that go, you know, way beyond the the confines of the event. And that's so cool to see happen. Um, so I don't know. I've got another conference in me for sure. I've got a new one that I'm planning for 2020. And other than that, I feel, you know, why I think that question is so hard for me is because I feel like I'm doing, I guess, what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I do agree with you. Like very early on when we first started speaking, you said that if you're doing something that you love, it doesn't feel like work. Right. I used to say that it was Oprah who said that. But it was actually like Confucius, I think. Oh, go yeah. way back to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the seventh century or fourth century, whatever it is. So I won't ask you about the conference for 2020 because if you That's wanted fine. to say, you would have. Oh well, yeah. I mean, you can. It's it's not it's not a secret. It's oh, okay. it's podcasting related actually, but um, through one of my clients and one of my sponsors at DC Podfest, um, it's a podcast hosting company by the name of Podbean. Which, if you're looking for a hosting company, I highly recommend them. I've uh, obviously a personal relationship with them, but I've worked with them for a number of years on um, their enterprise platform. And so with that product, they host private podcasts. And these are um, corporate podcasts that companies are using for internal communications and training. And it's been really interesting working so closely with companies and seeing how they're using internal podcasting, the successful use cases, the um, the stumbling blocks along the way, the things that that I've I've seen. Um, and so, because it's been such a unique experience, I sort of want to want to take that u- unique experience and expound upon it. And so. Um, the next conference is going to be in October 2020. Is called Podcast Inc. and it's going to be um, completely focused around internal podcasting. Interesting. So podcasting for corporate America. That's like the opposite of what everyone else does for their podcast. Mm-hmm. So they're they're recording their podcast and they're keeping it internally. Mm-hmm. When most of the world creates a podcast to get their message out to the world right. rather than keeping it within. Yeah, they have so many of the same component problems. So they still need to market it. Um, they just have to, they have a very defined audience, right? Course, they, yeah. they know the names and social security numbers of the people that they're, they're trying to reach. It's a very defined audience, but they still have the same, they still have to produce good content. Um, storytelling is super successful in, in that environment, just like it is in external content. Um, they still have to have processes in place for um, content creation and consistency. They still have to monitor the stats. Actually, stats are so important there um, because they can correlate the statistical data um, uh, and correlate it to the success of training programs and sales initiatives and um, employee engagement, which is really like sort of a hot topic in in corporate America right now. Um, an engaged employee is a 
has longevity over an unengaged employee. And so trying to keep that that turnover down by keeping the workforce engaged is a, is a challenge. And I'm even seeing companies using podcasting as a way to improve their culture. So a way to communicate more authentically, more intimately. Um, you know, when you send a newsletter or an email, it's very one-dimensional, unless you use a lot of emojis, which I think corporate America is probably not comfortable doing. Right. So, but uh, the human voice can can communicate so much more just through its its tone. So um, it's a much more dimensional way to communicate and more effective and efficient too. So, so it's really exciting. I, I'm, I'm so into it. Um, I, I so believe in internal podcasting, and I've just loved what I've seen companies accomplish through internal media. So I kind of want to get out there and, and talk about it in um, a more public format. Yeah, that makes sense. So tell us more about, okay, so this is something that's coming up, but tell us about the DC PodFest. You know, this is your fifth annual. Mm-hmm. It's really, really soon. Yeah. Um, so not to scare you, but it's really, really soon. I know. It's, right? It is really soon. I am scared. I'm always scared. I'm Every day I'm scared. Um, yeah. That's how you know you're doing what you're supposed <laughs> to be doing if you're still scared. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, it is our fifth year. Um, November 1st in the evening is our kickoff networking party. It's always a great time. And, and then all day Saturday, the second, we have workshops and um, speakers and intensives. We have, uh, we'll have a recording studio so you can record right there with the people that you've met. And That's a neat yeah, 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 it's, it's a lot of fun. And then this year we have something called Expert Alley, which I think is uh, such an incredible opportunity for podcasters because you're going to be able to meet one-on-one with a variety of subject experts. So you're going to get a lot from the sessions, but sometimes what you can't really get from the sessions is sort of like how it applies to your individual circumstance or your your individual podcast and where you are. So this gives you that opportunity to ask more focused questions with experts on a variety of topics. So you're going to leave with so much um, knowledge that you'll be able to take action on, which I think is really exciting. Um, it yeah. really sounds like it. That yeah. sounds fun. I, yeah. I haven't been. So for somebody who's never been, and even though you've had it now for five years, what is advice you can tell the person who's never been before? Kind of like a mother who's taking her kids to Disney for the first time, right? So there's some tricks about how to make the most of your experience. So what is what is something you can tell somebody who hasn't attended the DC podcast before how do they get the most out of their experience? I'd say that, you know, to get the most, you sort of have to find a, a balance between like what you're going to learn in the sessions and the benefit of connecting with the podcasting community. Because there's so much benefit in connecting with your community in terms of support, learning, collaboration. Um, I've seen so many podcasters who've supported each other. You'll find podcasters who are podcasting in your space. In other words, like they have a podcast like in the same subject or premise as yours. And, you know, that is really powerful because you can help each other's shows. Um, so, yeah, finding that balance. I mean, looking at the schedule before you go in and, and figuring out what what it is that you really want to take away from the conference because it's hard to go to every single session and honestly it's exhausting. Yeah. Um and at some point I think your brain just sort of like shuts off and doesn't really want to learn anymore. So so plan those breaks. There's going to be some sessions that don't interest you for one reason or another. So take that time and meet with the somebody in expert alley that is really going to help you move your your show forward or just um go and record a podcast or maybe just relax and take, you know, 
pretty up your notes or something. <laughs> um, I mean, there's really just a lot to take advantage of. So you kind of have to choose your own adventure in terms of where it is you are with your podcast and where you want to be. 